0: The cat Hey guys, welcome to Another World Audiobooks. We completed Treasure Island, which was an awesome book. So much fun to do, I love. Doing the pirate voices was just a total blast. Hope you guys have been enjoying the indie author spotlights I've been able to put out there. I've loved doing those as well. It's just been a blast to connect with some other uh, indie authors and be able to put their work out into the world in audiobook form. Really hope you guys are able to go check them out, show them some, some love on the social media, whatever it takes to, to just say thank you, that they're uh, willing to share their work with us here with on Another World. Today, I've got got a really special treat for you. If you follow Another World on social media, you've probably seen that I have a completely brand new updated version of Pride and Prejudice. Now this was, if you've been uh, following the podcast for any amount of time, this was one of the first audiobooks that I did. Actually, I did Christmas Carol and then Pride and Prejudice. So it was literally the second audiobook that I did. And that was almost two years ago now. Uh, as you can tell, the uh, the quality has improved on the podcast and I hope uh, not only just on the audio side, but also on just my ability to read and, and emote as we go. So, uh, yeah, I, Pride and Prejudice is such one of my most popular download episodes that I wanted to redo it. So I went ahead and read it. The entire audiobook is all completely uh, like updated and uh, great sound. And hopefully, like I said, the, the reading is also improved somewhat. Anyway, I want to tell you guys about it because if you have already listened to the backlist of the episodes and you're just seeing the new stuff, you might not have seen this. So I wanted to put out the first couple chapters of Pride and Prejudice here as kind of a bonus episode and also to kind of give me a break in between uh, books. We're going to be coming uh, at you next week with another brand new audiobook, and we haven't done before. But, yeah, I just I need a little little break. <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of summertime, and uh, just, uh, yeah, it really helped me out to be able to uh, have a little break. And I hope you guys enjoyed the, the updated version. So, yeah, this is just going to be a sample of the book. I have the entire complete audiobook ready to go. Uh, if you would be willing to, uh, maybe consider purchasing the, the full audiobook of Pride and Prejudice. It's Like I said, this is just A-plus quality and uh, all redone. So if you guys would be able to, to purchase it, that would be amazing because it's it's the, the royalties that I get from the actual complete audiobooks that are helping me fund the effort of um, getting Another World out into the world. So if you guys would consider doing that, That would be amazing. Or you can go to anchor.fm slash Audiobooks and just click on the support button. Um, That is another great way to support. Or just continue listening to the podcast. It's 100% free. I get a little bit uh, of ad revenue for every listen. So if you can just spread the word and tell people about the podcast. This is a labor of love and takes a lot of time, a lot of time, to edit and uh, upload and and record all these uh, books, but I love doing it and I'm going to keep doing it, so uh, all I ask is that you just share the podcast with somebody that you know who might enjoy an audiobook. So, a bit of a longer introduction today, sorry about that, Uh, but without further ado, I give you the first couple chapters of Pride and Prejudice.
1: Pride and Prejudice Written by Jane Austen Narrated By Brady Smith Chapter 1 It is a truth universally acknowledged, that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighborhood, this truth is so fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered the rightful property of some one or other of their
2: daughters. My dear Mr. Bennett,
1: said his lady to him one day
2: heard that Netherfield Park is let at last.
1: Mr. Bennet replied that he had not.
2: But it is, returned she, for Mrs. Long has just been here and she told me all about it. Mr. Bennet made no answer. Do you not want to know who has taken it?
1: cried his wife impatiently. You want to tell me and I have no objection to hear it.
2: This was invitation enough. Why, my dear, you must know, Mrs. Long says that Netherfield is taken by a young man of a large fortune from the north of England, that he came down on Monday in a and fall to see the place, and was so much delighted with it, that he agreed with Mr. Morris immediately, that he is to take possession before Michaelmas, and some of his servants are to be in the house by the end of the week. What is his name? Bingley. Is he married or single? Oh, single, my dear, to be sure. A single man of large fortune, four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls.
1: How oh, sir, how can it affect them? My dear Mr. Bennett, replied his wife.
2: How can you be so tiresome? You must know that I am thinking of his marrying one of them. Is that his design in setting here? Design? Nonsense! How can you talk so? But it is very likely that he may fall in love with one of them, and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes. I see no occasion for that.
1: You the girls may go, you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will still be better, for as you are as handsome as any of them, Mr. Bingley may like you the best of the party.
2: My dear, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I do not pretend to be anything extraordinary now. When a woman has five grown-up daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty.
1: In such cases, a woman has not often much beauty to think of.
2: But, my dear, you must indeed go and see Mr. Bingley when he comes into the neighbourhood.
1: It is more than I engage for, I assure you.
2: "'But consider your daughters. "'Only think what an establishment it would be for one of them. "'Sir William and Lady Lucas are determined to go, "'merely on that account, for, in general, you know, "'they visit no newcomers. "'Indeed, you must go, "'for it will be impossible for us to visit him if you do not.'
1: "'You are over-scrupulous, surely. "'I dare say Mr. Bingley will be very glad to see you, "'and I'll send a few lines by you to assure him "'of my hearty consent to his marrying "'whichever he chooses of our girls, "'though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie.'
2: "'I desire you will do no such thing. Lizzie is not a bit better than the others, "'and I am sure she is not half so handsome as Jane, "'nor half so good-humoured as Lydia. "'But you are always giving her the preference.' "'They have none of them much to recommend them,' replied
1: he. "'They are all silly and ignorant like other girls, "'but Lizzie has something more of quickness than her sisters.'
2: "'Mr. Bennet, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? "'You take delight in vexing me. "'You have no compassion for my poor nerves.'
1: You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration these last twenty years at least.
2: Ah! Oh, you don't know what I suffer.
1: But I hope you will get over it,
2: and live to see many young men of four thousand a year come into the neighbourhood. It will be of no use to us if twenty such should come, since you will not visit them. Depend
1: upon it, my dear, that when there are twenty, I will visit them all. Mr. Bennet was so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice that the experience of three and twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. Her mind was less difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news. CHAPTER two. Mr. Bennet was among the earliest of those who waited on Mr. Bingley. He had always intended to visit him, though to the last always assuring his wife that he should not go. Until the evening after the visit was paid, she had no knowledge of it. It was then disclosed in the following manner. Observing his second daughter employed in trimming a hat, he suddenly addressed her with, "'I hope Mr. Bingley will like it, Lizzie.'
2: "'We are not in a way to know what Mr. Bingley likes,'
1: said her mother resentfully.
2: "'Since we are not to visit,'
1: But you forget, mamma," said Elizabeth,
2: that we shall meet him at the assemblies, and that Mrs. Long promised to introduce him. I do not believe Mrs. Long would do any such thing. She has two nieces of her own. She is a selfish, hypocritical woman, and I have no opinion of her. No more
1: have I, said Mr. Bennet, and I am glad to find that you do not depend on her serving you. Mrs. Bennet, deigned not to make any reply, but, unable to contain herself, began scolding one of her daughters.
2: "'Don't keep coughing so, Kitty. For heaven's sake, have a little compassion on my nerves. You tear them to pieces!'
1: "'Kitty has no discretion in her coughs,' said her father. She times them ill.
2: "'I do not cough for my own
1: amusement,' replied Kitty fretfully.
2: "'When is your next ball to be, Lizzie?' "'Tomorrow night.' "'Aye, so it is,' cried her mother. And Mrs. Long does not come back till the day before, so it will be impossible for her to introduce him, for she will not know him herself.
1: Then, my dear, you may have the advantage of your friend, and introduce Mr. Bingley to her.
2: Impossible, Mr. Bennet. impossible. When I am not acquainted with him myself, how can you be so teasing?
1: I honour your circumspection. A fortnight's acquaintance is certainly very little. One cannot know what a man really is by the end of a fortnight but if we do not venture, somebody else will, and after all, Mrs. Long and her nieces must stand their chances, and therefore, as you will think it an act of kindness, if you decline the office, I will take it on myself.' The girls stared at their father. Mrs. Bennet said only, "'Nonsense! Nonsense!' "'What can be the meaning of that emphatic exclamation?' cried he. "'Do you consider the forms of introduction, and the stress that is laid on them, as nonsense?' "'I cannot quite agree with you there. "'What say you, Mary? "'For you are a young lady of deep reflection, I know, "'and read great books and make extracts.' "'Mary wished to say something sensible, but knew not how. "'Well, Mary is adjusting her ideas,' he continued. "'Let us return to Mr. Bingley.'
2: "'I am sick of Mr. Bingley,'
1: cried his wife. "'I am sorry to hear that, but why did you not tell me that before? "'If I had known as much this morning, I certainly would not have called on him.' It is very unlucky, but as I have actually paid the visit, we cannot escape the acquaintance now. The astonishment of the ladies was just what he wished, that of Mrs. Bennett perhaps surpassing the rest, though when the first tumult of joy was over, she began to declare that it was what she had expected all the while.
2: "'How good it was in you, my dear Mr. Bennet! "'But I knew I should persuade you at last. "'I was sure you love your girls too well to neglect such an acquaintance. "'Well, how pleased I am! "'And it is such a good joke, too, "'that you should have gone this morning and never said a word about it till now!'
1: "'Now, Kitty, you may cough as much as you choose,' said Mr. Bennet, "'and as he spoke he left the room, fatigued with the rapture of his wife.
2: "'What an excellent father you have, girls!'
1: "'She said when the door was shut.
2: "'I do not know how you will ever make him amends for his kindness, or me either, for that matter. "'At our time in life it is not so pleasant, I can tell you, to be making new acquaintances every day. "'But for your sakes we would do anything. "'Lydia, my love, though you are the youngest, I dare say Mr. Bingley will dance with you at the next ball.' "'Oh,'
1: said Lydia stoutly, "'I am not afraid. Though I am the youngest, I am the tallest.' the rest of the evening was spent in conjecturing how soon he would return mr Bennet's visit and determining when they should ask him to dinner chapter three not all that mrs Bennet, however with the assistance of her five daughters could ask on the subject was sufficient to draw from her husband any satisfactory description of mr bingley they attacked him in various ways with barefaced questions ingenious suppositions and distant surmises but he eluded the skills of them all and they were at last obliged to accept the second-hand intelligence of their neighbour, Lady Lucas. Her report was highly favourable. Sir William had been delighted with him. He was quite young, wonderfully handsome, extremely agreeable, and to crown the whole, he meant to be at the next assembly with a large party. Nothing could be more delightful. To be fond of dancing was a certain step toward falling in love, and very lively hopes of Mr. Bingley's heart were entertained.
2: "'If I can but see one of my daughters happily settled at Netherfield,'
1: said Mrs. Bennet to her husband,
2: and all the others equally well married, I shall have nothing to wish for.
1: In a few days, Mr. Bingley returned Mr. Bennet's visit, and sat about ten minutes with him in his library. He had entertained hopes of being admitted to the sight of the young ladies, of whose beauty he had heard much, but he saw only the father. The ladies were somewhat more fortunate, for they had the advantage of ascertaining from an upper window that he wore a blue coat and rode a black horse. An invitation to dinner was soon afterwards dispatched, and already had Mrs. Bennet planned the courses that were to do credit to her housekeeping when an answer arrived which deferred it all. Mr. Bingley was obliged to be in town the following day, and consequently unable to accept the honour of their invitation, etc. Mrs. Bennet was quite disconcerted. She could not imagine what business he could have in town so soon after his arrival in Hertfordshire, and she began to fear that he might be always flying about from one place to another, and never settled at netherfield as he ought to be. Lady Lucas quieted her fears a little by starting the idea of his being gone to London only to get a large party for the ball, and a report soon followed that Mr. Bingley was to bring twelve ladies and seven gentlemen with him to the assembly. The girls grieved over such a number of ladies, but were comforted the day before the ball by hearing that instead of twelve he brought only six with him from London, his five sisters and a cousin. And when the party entered the assembly room it consisted of only five altogether. Mr. Bingley, his two sisters, the husband of the eldest, and another young man. Mr. Bingley was good-looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. His sisters were fine women with an air of decided fashion. His brother-in-law, Mr. Hurst, merely looked the gentleman, but his friend, Mr. Darcy, soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble Mien, and the report, which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance, of his having ten thousand a year. The gentlemen pronounced him to be a fine figure of a man. The ladies declared he was much handsomer than Mr. Bingley, and he was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening, till his manners gave a disgust which turned the tide of his popularity, for he was discovered to be proud, to be above his company, and above being pleased, and not all his large estate in Derbyshire could save him from having a most forbidding, disagreeable countenance, and being unworthy to be compared with his friend. Mr. Bingley had soon made himself acquainted with all the principal people in the room. He was lively and unreserved, danced every dance, was angry that the ball closed so early, and talked of giving one himself at Netherfield. Such amiable qualities must speak for themselves. What a contrast between him and his friend! Mr. Darcy danced only once with Mrs. Hurst, and once with Miss Bingley, declined being introduced to any other lady, and spent the rest of the evening in walking about the room, speaking occasionally to one of his own party. His character was decided.' He was the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world, and everybody hoped that he would never come there again. Amongst the most violent against him was Mrs. Bennet, whose dislike of his general behaviour was sharpened into particular resentment by his having slighted one of her daughters. Elizabeth Bennet had been obliged, by the scarcity of gentlemen, to sit down for two dances, and during part of that time, Mr. Darcy had been standing near enough for her to hear a conversation between him and Mr. Bingley, who came from the dance for a few minutes to press his friend to join in. "'Come, Darcy!' said he. "'I must have you dance. I hate to see you standing about by yourself in this stupid manner. You had much better dance.' "'I certainly shall not. You know how I detest it, unless I am particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable. Your sisters are engaged, and there is not another woman in the room whom it would not be a punishment to me to stand up with.' "'I would not be so fastidious as you are,' cried Bingley. "'For a kingdom!' "'Upon my honour, I never met with so many pleasant girls in my life as I have this evening, "'and there are several of them you see uncommonly pretty.' "'You are dancing with the only handsome girl in the room,' said Mr. Darcy, "'looking at the eldest Miss Bennet. "'Oh, she is the most beautiful creature I ever beheld. "'But there is one of her sisters sitting down just behind you, "'who is very pretty, and I dare say very agreeable. "'Do let me ask my partner to introduce you.' "'Which do you mean?' And turning round, he looked for a moment at Elizabeth, till, catching her eye, he withdrew his own and coldly said, "'She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. I am in no humour at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. You had better return to your partner and enjoy her smiles, for you are wasting your time with me.' Mr. Bingley followed his advice. Mr. Darcy walked off, and Elizabeth remained with no very cordial feeling toward him she told the story however with great spirit among her friends for she had a lively playful disposition which delighted in anything ridiculous the evening altogether passed off pleasantly to the whole family mrs Bennet had seen her eldest daughter much admired by the netherfield party mr bingley had danced with her twice and she had been distinguished by her sisters jane was as much gratified by this as her mother could be though in a quieter way elizabeth felt jane's pleasure Mary had heard herself mentioned to Miss Bingley as the most accomplished girl in the neighbourhood, and Catherine and Lydia had been fortunate enough never to be without partners, which was all they had yet learned to care for at a ball. They returned, therefore, in good spirits to Longbourn, the village where they lived, and of which they were the principal inhabitants. They found Mr. Bennet still up, with a book he was regardless of time, and on the present occasion he had a good deal of curiosity as to the event of an evening which had raised such splendid expectations. He had rather hoped that his wife's view on the stranger would be disappointed, but he soon found out that he had a very different story to hear.
2: "'Oh, my dear Mr. Bennet!' as she entered the room, we have had a most delightful evening, a most excellent ball. I wish you had been there. Jane was so admired, nothing could be like it. Everybody said how well she looked, and Mr. Bingley thought her quite beautiful and danced with her twice. Only think of that, my dear. He actually danced with her twice, and she was the only creature in the room that he asked a second time. First of all, he asked Miss Lucas. I was so vexed to see him stand up with her, but, however, he did not admire her at all. Indeed, nobody can, you know, and he seemed quite struck with Jane as she was going down the dance. Dash- so he inquired who she was, and got introduced, and asked her for the two next. Then the two-third he danced with Miss King, and the fourth with Maria Lucas, and the two-fifth with Jane again, and the two-sixth with Lizzie and the bowranger.
1: "'If he had had any compassion on me,' cried her husband impatiently, "'he will not have danced with half so much. For God's sake, say no more of his partners. Oh, that he had sprained his ankle in the first dance!'
2: "'Oh, my dear, I am quite delighted with him. He is so excessively handsome, and his sisters are charming women. I never in my life saw anything more elegant than their dresses. I dare say the lace upon Mrs. Hurst's gown.'
1: Here she was interrupted again. Mr. Bennet protested against any description of finery. She was therefore obliged to seek another branch of the subject, and related, with much bitterness of spirit and some exaggeration, the shocking rudeness of Mr. Darcy.
2: "'But I can assure you,' she added, But Lizzie does not lose much by not suiting his fancy, for he is a most disagreeable, horrid man, not at all worth pleasing, so high and so conceited that there was no enduring him. He walked here and he walked there, fancying himself so very great, not handsome enough to dance with. I wish you had been there, my dear, to have given him one of your set-downs. I quite detest the man.
1: CHAPTER four. When Jane and Elizabeth were alone, the former, who had been cautious in her praise of Mr. Bingley before, expressed to his sister just how very much she admired him. "'He is just what a young man ought to be,' said she. "'Sensible, good-humoured, lively. I never saw such happy manners, so much ease, with such perfect good breeding.' "'He is also handsome,' replied Elizabeth. "'Which a young man ought likewise to be, if he possibly can. His character is thereby complete.' I was very much flattered by his asking me to dance a second time. I did not expect such a compliment. Did not you? I did for you, but that is one great difference between us. Compliments always take you by surprise, and me never. What could be more natural than his asking you again? He could not help seeing that you were about five times as pretty as every other woman in the room. No thanks to his gallantry for that. Well, he certainly is very agreeable, and I give him leave to like you. You have liked many a stupider person." "'Dear Lizzie, "'Oh, you are a good deal too apt, you know, to like people in general. "'You never see a fault in anybody. "'All the world are good and agreeable in your eyes. "'I never heard you speak ill of a human being in your life.' "'I would not wish to be hasty in censuring anyone, "'but
2: I always speak what I think.'
1: "'I know you do, and it is that which makes the wonder, "'with your good sense, to be so honestly blind to the follies and nonsense of others.' "'Affectation of candour is common enough. "'One meets with it everywhere. "'But to be candid without ostentation or design, "'to take the good of everybody's character "'and make it still better, "'and say nothing of the bad, "'belongs to you alone. "'And so you like this man's sisters too, do you? "'Their manners are not equal to his.' "'Certainly not, at first, "'but they are very pleasing women "'when you converse with them. "'Miss Bingley is to live with a brother "'and keep his house, "'and I am much mistaken "'if we shall not find a very charming neighbour in her.' Elizabeth listened in silence, but was not convinced. Their behaviour at the assembly had not been calculated to please in general, and with more quickness of observation and less pliancy of temper than her sister, and with a judgment too unassailed by any attention to herself, she was very little disposed to approve them. They were in fact very fine ladies, not deficient in good humour when they were pleased, nor in the power of making themselves agreeable when they chose it, but proud and conceited. They were rather handsome had been educated in one of the first private seminaries in town, had a fortune of twenty thousand pounds, were in the habit of spending more than they ought, and of associating with people of rank, and were therefore in every respect entitled to think well of themselves, and meanly of others. They were of a respectable family in the north of England, a circumstance more deeply impressed on their memories than that their brother's fortune and their own had been acquired by trade.' Mr. Bingley inherited property to the amount of nearly a hundred thousand pounds from his father, who had intended to purchase an estate, but did not live to do it. Mr. Bingley intended it likewise, and sometimes made choice of his county. But as he was now provided with a good house and the liberty of a manor, it was doubtful to many of those who best knew the easiness of his temper whether he might not spend the remainder of his days in Netherfield and leave the next generation to purchase. His sisters were anxious for his having an estate of his own, but though he was now only established as a tenant, Miss Bingley was by no means unwilling to preside at his table, nor was Mrs. Hurst, who had married a man of more fashion than fortune, less disposed to consider his house as her home when it suited her. Mr. Bingley had not been of age two years when he was tempted by an accidental recommendation to look at Netherfield House. He did look at it, and into it, for half an hour, and was pleased with the situation in the principal rooms, satisfied with what the owner said in its praise, and took it immediately.' Between him and Darcy there was a very steady friendship in spite of the great opposition of character Bingley was endeared to Darcy by the easiness openness and docility of his temper though no disposition could offer a greater contrast to his own and though with his own he never appeared dissatisfied on the strength of Darcy's regard Bingley had the firmest reliance and of his judgment the highest opinion in understanding Darcy was the superior Bingley was by no means deficient but Darcy was clever He was at the same time haughty and reserved and fastidious, and his manners, though well-bred, were not inviting. In that respect, his friend had greatly the advantage. Bingley was sure of being liked whenever he appeared. Darcy was continually giving offence. The manner in which they spoke of the Meritan assembly was sufficiently characteristic. Bingley had never met with more pleasant people or prettier girls in his life. Everybody had been most kind and attentive to him. There had been no formality, no stiffness. He had soon felt acquainted with all the room, and, as to Miss Bennet, he could not conceive an angel more beautiful. Darcy, on the contrary, had seen a collection of people in whom there was little beauty and no fashion, for none of whom he had felt the smallest interest, and from none received either attention or pleasure. Miss Bennet he acknowledged to be pretty, but she smiled too much. Mrs. Hurst and her sister allowed it to be so, but they still admired her and liked her, and pronounced her to be a sweet girl, and one whom they would not object to know more of. "'Miss Bennet was therefore established as a sweet girl, "'and their brother felt authorized by such commendation "'to think of her as he chose.'
0: Alright, there you go. If this piqued your interest and you just can't wait and you really, really want to listen to the book again, you can go and listen to the old episodes where we've got the entire book of Pride and Prejudice. I haven't gotten to update all the audio yet, so it's not going to be the the updated 2019 version. So if you want that version right away, you could consider just buying it. And uh, the royalties go toward helping me be able to produce more audiobooks for you. So if that is something that you want to do, it doesn't cost a whole lot, you get an awesome audiobook, or just share the word with people. And remember, there is also the other option. If you are somebody who has a little bit of skill with the uh, editing side of things, that would be a huge help to me to add somebody to the team. Right now, it would just be on a volunteer basis, but I'm hoping eventually that if we're able to put out enough content and uh, enough people spread the word about the podcast, we'll be able to grow and I'd be able to pay an editor eventually. So if that's something you can be interested in. Uh, all the contact information is down below. You can email me at audiobooks at gmail.com or whatever is easiest there. And remember, if you're an indie author you know somebody who's in the author who'd like to get their work on another world just get in touch with me again all the contact information is down below thanks guys so much for listening today and remember we're coming back at you next week with a brand new audiobook i haven't revealed what it is yet <laughs> so exciting um but yeah <laughs> so stay tuned we'll get that brand new audiobook coming at you next week on sunday talk to you then